You guys, we've got Hannah Moore here today, certified financial planner, who is going to enlighten you on all things financial for entrepreneurs, but also more than anything, unfold for you her own story from a very young age as a financial planner, buying out the firm that she worked for from a young age. She was clearly uh, an entrepreneur from the get-go. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. I know that I was taking my own notes fast and furiously as the market has changed this past year, the last two years. And she gives us some real good insight as entrepreneurs and what we should be doing from a financial planning standpoint. So hope you guys enjoy. Hey friend, Melissa Hinault here with the Burnout to All Out podcast. I'm a former multiple six-figure executive corporate burnout, feeling stuck in the life I built for myself. But using my corporate skills, I took to the internet and have built multiple six and seven-figure businesses, showing others how they can build a life they love. Now on this podcast, I share stories of being an entrepreneur, a mom to my three amazing kids, and wife to my wonderful and supportive husband who supports all my wild and crazy dreams. My journey is taking grit and persistence and belief. And believe me, I'm still a work in progress that you may witness in real time. Whether it's in our free burnout to all out Facebook community, or inside my mastermind, or even in my coaching programs, or maybe just right here on the podcast. I'm laughing and I'm crying with you. I've become a serial entrepreneur with a passion to inspire more burnouts, to take the leap of faith and go all out and live out their dreams. Consider me your mentor in your head and on the go. So let's get started. Yay, we are live. So excited, you guys, to have Hannah Moore here today on the Burnout to All Out podcast. So welcome to the show, Hannah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me, Melissa. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So excited for this conversation. So first and foremost, a little bit of a background. Hannah and I are in the same business mastermind together. And so we were able to meet together live in January and really get to know each other. And it's been an incredible kind of friendship ever since. And I'm so excited to feature you today as, you know, another just blazing, trailblazing entrepreneur. Let me start with your bio, if that's okay. So everybody knows streaming live with us over on YouTube. Let us know you're there. If you're streaming live with us over on LinkedIn, let us know you're there. Give us a little emoji or a thumbs up. And if you catch this replay on the podcast, know that you can actually see it in real time live on LinkedIn or YouTube if you come check out our channel or our page. So with that, Hannah Moore is a certified financial planner and she's the owner of Guiding Wealth and focused on helping clients gain clarity, simplicity, and confidence. Barron's named her one of 10 people to watch in wealth management in 2022. And Investopedia listed her as a top 100 advisor for the third year in a row. Hannah's also been voted one of these uh, magazines' top financial planners in Dallas from 2014 and running and was awarded the Young Guns by the Dallas-Fort Worth Financial Planning Association. Lastly, I just want to hit on that. She's included in the Investments News 40 Under 40. So 
incredible bio. We've got an incredible expert here on the show today, Hannah. And I'm so excited to dive in to your story. Let's do it. I love it. Yes. Okay. So let's get started here on the Burnouts All Out podcast. We like to go back to the days before you actually ran your own firm. I know you've got your own business here um, with Guiding Well, but there must have been some time prior to that as a financial planner that you were working for someone else. So can you take us back to life working for someone else and really that pivotal moment of launching your own thing? Yes. So I have a very interesting career story um, and kind of career path to entrepreneurship. So some of my background, I grew up not knowing anybody who needed a professional degree to do their job except for teachers. So this whole career path thing was just very ambiguous. I didn't know what that meant. So I graduated with a degree in financial services and planning and interviewed for this woman. uh, And in that interview, she asked me if I was interested in being her succession plan. Y'all, I had no idea what that meant. So I'm 22 interviewing for a job, asked asking if I'd be open to buying this practice. And so I said yes. And I like got out to my car and I'm like, it was before I had like, you know, a smartphone and I'm like writing down what is a succession plan. <laughs> and so I show up on the first day of the job. I'm 22. She's 68. And I jump in on the deep end of learning what is financial planning. In my space, there's a huge gap between what you learn in the classroom and what's actually in practice. And so I spent the next four years just learning as absolutely much as I possibly could about what is financial planning? How do you do this? Uh, How do you serve clients well? And then four years later, she decided that she wanted to retire. And so I actually purchased her practice at that point. I had no idea that entrepreneurship was going to be a path that I wanted to take, right? I had no framework for this because, again, part of my background, part of it just being so young, Mm -hmm. I just had no idea. So I'm 26. I just bought this practice. A couple months later, um, another gentleman approached me and said, hey, I just saw you bought this practice. I need to leave. I have two weeks. Would you buy my practice as well? So a lot on a smaller scale. And I just knew to say yes. And so I just kept saying yes. And I was in the deep end of running a business. What does this look like? So I spent four years learning how to be a financial planner. And then I had to learn what it was like to be a business owner. And those were some tough days as anybody can know. So my husband and I got married and 10 weeks later about the business. So I had under 500 to my name. And he had, we were long distance. So he had moved to where I was in Dallas. He didn't have a job yet. And so it was just, incredibly stressful time in my life. But I just learned so, so much about what does it mean to be a business owner? What are the processes and procedures? What does that look like? What are those foundational blocks that you want to do? Because as a financial planner, like if I get something wrong, that can have a huge impact on my clients. And that was always my fear of like, how do I serve clients well? And that's really where I leaned into some coaching programs and different different tools. Because at 26, you're just Felt like I was in the deep end. So that's kind of how I got started running kind of that business uh, with Guiding Wealth. Oh my gosh. So that is so incredible. I don't know that I know many people who have purchased their first business at the age of 26 years old, four years into learning the practice yourself. So I can't even imagine the learning curve of business leadership, managing all the things that go along with business. So so incredible. So it sounds to me like the opportunity just came about and you instinctually knew it was time to just lean in and do this thing. I love that. So let's dive into, you know, what makes your firm 
unique because I love, I was looking at your website and I love <laughs> this statement and, and I want to hear a little bit, uh, uh, kind of have you unpack this yeah. a little bit, but it said that recent studies show that 45% of Americans would prefer to visit their dentist than talk to their financial <laughs> advisor. Believe me, the dentist is the last person I want to see. That's a, that is a whole other story, but this is different for guiding yeah. well. So I know that you do some really fun and innovative things with your clients in your firm that make it unique and make it more um, enjoyable to come come in and sit down and talk about money. So can you talk a little bit about what you've done to make your firm unique and stand out above and beyond the others? Absolutely. So one of the things, so I'm, yeah, 26 and learning the ropes and kind of just doing everything the way I'd been told to and and looking at that. And I realized like, wait a minute, is this the best way to do it? And so I took about six months and I asked every single client I met with, what was the most valuable thing from this meeting? And it could radically change my view of what I do as a financial planner. And realizing that so much of the analysis that we do behind the scenes, clients don't really care about. Right. Uh, they want to know that it's done. They want to know that they're getting you know everything done well, but they care about their life. They care about this planning side of it. Yes, we manage investments. Yes, we do kind of all the technical side of things. But what they really want to know is how can they apply that to their life? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And so we really really got into this idea of, I really discovered that clients want simplicity. So much of financial services is how do we make it complex so clients feel like they need us? And I have found the exact opposite to be true. How can mm -hmm. I make it so simple that clients can immediately understand their financial plan and in that understanding can have that confidence, that clarity and confidence to really move forward with what they want to be doing, that they know the decisions that they have to make, that they know what they need to be doing in order to move their finances forward. And so it's just a whole different paradigm from which what we operate. We hear so much more about the person and your life. We view this as a partnership. Like you aren't coming to me to like, just for all my financial expertise. It's like, we're coming together. Like you're the expert on your life and I'm the expert on finances. That's when the magic happens with financial planning. It's, it's those things coming together. You can mm -hmm. give me two clients that have the exact same fact set. Like if we were going to go into financial planning school, right? Give me the same fact set. But when you throw in different clients, if they're married or single, the actual outcome and actual plan can look so different because of what's important to you. And that's what people don't realize is that personal finance is so personal. And that's what's so powerful about it. And that's what's so fun about it too, is it's really about designing your money in a way that enhances your life. And what is it that you want out of your life? And that's going to look different for everybody. And so that's really kind of what we focus on and helping our clients. You know, one of the other things is I realized that, you know, I love numbers. I think in terms of numbers, most of my clients don't. That's why they're coming to me, right? <laughs> and so one of the things you talked about, we came up with this budgeting blocks idea because we were doing budgeting on spreadsheets and I was like, this isn't working. Like nobody enjoys it. There's no like traction on this. Nobody's actually making changes. And so we started doing budgeting with blocks on the table and just making a game out of it, making it fun. This whole thing of, you know, I'm bad with money. I hear clients say that a lot. And it's like, no, no, no. Maybe we just haven't figured out how to communicate this yet. I haven't met a single person that wants a bad financial plan. Everybody wants to be successful. The problem is, is how are we communicating that? And I would say the burden is on the financial planners in your life to really help change how we communicate, help kind of 
how our approach, if we change our approach, there's not usually anything wrong with our clients. The problem is us. And so really kind of taking that that approach, I think it's just really kind of changed. It's just a whole different paradigm from which we operate with working with our clients. Mm, so good. So many little mic drops there. So good. So I love this story and I love how you guys have made it. You've really like stood out among the rest. You're making it more fun and relatable to your clients. You're kind of going off in a different direction on how people perceive financial planning. And with that, I'd love to talk about your journey during COVID because, you know, one of the things that I know that I know, actually, my uncle is a financial planner who runs his own firm. And one of the things he used to say and still says to this day is never let a good disaster go to waste. And, you know, his whole thing is like, there's always opportunity, even during crisis, if you can come up with a solution, there's always more opportunities to create solutions in the midst of crisis than there is when everything's going great, right? And so I know that when COVID hit, a lot of people kind of like buried themselves in a hole and have just like, you know, opportunity is gone or business isn't going great. And then there's the, the big thinkers, the problem solvers, the innovators, which you are one of those. And I'd love for you to share how you were able to actually launch something completely new in the midst of the pandemic. Yes. So let me take a couple steps back and fill in some other pieces here. So my husband, we were together maybe a month. So, I mean, this is like 10, 15 years ago. And he was like, my dream is to someday run a business with my wife. And I looked at him and I was like, do you care about your future marriage? Like, are you serious? Like, this is this is a joke. And now we run a business together. So <laughs> joke, joke is really on me. But in all of this time, so I made a really big business transition, really kind of pivoted how we were running our business. I had 250 to 300 clients. We really built a boutique, well, a financial planning firm. And so I made this huge transition to where I left where I was, kind of started this boutique practice. And in that transition, I had a lot of time on my hands. And so my husband's background was film and digital media, and he also had an education background. There was a seminar series where I learned so much of how to do financial planning, and there would be like four people there. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the best content anywhere. And, and it's nowhere. And my husband just kept saying, well, why don't you put it on the internet? And I was like, yeah, I'm lucky to figure out email. Like, let's, let's be real here. So he would take a day off and we started this podcast called You're a Financial Planner, Now What? And so we started educating other financial planners of basically what I wish I would have known because there wasn't a clear pathway within my space. And so we really got into this space of how do we educate financial planners, new financial planners, in order to do really great work for their clients, not just this traditional sales, like how quickly can you shove you know, X number of clients into this or that product, but really focus on financial planning. And so anyway, the podcast grew. We started building this audience. We ended up partnering with a national association, so the Financial Planning Association. They're the Financial Association for Certified Financial Planners. And so helping them build out their new planner initiatives. And so at this point, my husband had quit all of his other work. He was working with me and COVID hits. And at first, you know, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, there's no way this actually turns into something. You know, I was skeptical, uh, obviously proven wrong. But we were in these meetings of basically how could this association, and we were kind of their new planner consultants or whatever, what were the problems that we were seeing and how could we solve them? And so one of the big problems that we started seeing 
was that students were losing their internships. And we started hearing it started dribbling in. We were hearing it from some students. And then we started hearing it from some professors. And we started hearing more and more. And we're like, wait a minute. Okay, so this is going to be a big deal. Now, it's a big deal for a couple of reasons. One, it's really important developmentally for students to come in and be able to get this internship, get this experience. And two, a lot of kids need it for graduation. <laughs> like, like they actually needed an internship to graduate. And certainly universities were, you know, waiving that requirement. But we did some focus groups with students and we started interviewing them. And what we realized was we'd never be able to replace that one-on-one experience. But if we reimagined what this whole thing could be, we realized we could provide everything that they were looking at better and at scale. And we were like, wait a minute, like, because what did students want from their internship? They want to know if they're going into the right career. They want to know what their career paths are, like what this could be. And so we dove headfirst into this. So Charlie's education background came in huge. So we thought we were solving a problem for juniors and seniors going in college who had some experience. And so we ended up building a virtual internship that really kind of went viral. We had over 1,900 students sign up for the first year. And of course, not everybody like, was part of it because it was a free program. So, you know, people sign up and, and don't do not do it. We partnered with a number of companies. So they had like their whole financial planning suite. We brought in over 60 different financial planners. And really what happened was we thought we were solving for this one problem of students who lost their internships. What we found is we were actually solving for a bigger problem. We were solving for access to financial planning. So if you think about it from a career standpoint, right now, people need to put in years of their life, often tens of thousands of dollars before they can ever even get into an internship in financial planning. And we're flipping that whole model on its head of saying, no, we want to be able to show people what a career in financial planning looks like in a really safe environment at a very, very low cross point. So they can make the decision, is it worth putting in those years and those dollars um, wow. into careers? And so we're just, we're flipping this whole model on its head of really saying, we want financial planning to be accessible because we have a huge issue in this country, right? Like financial literacy is a huge issue. So much financial planning is just for the higher net worth. Traditionally, it's been for seven plus figure families and we're saying, you know, there's a whole new generation of financial planners who are coming in who are going to say, how do we help people who are making a lot less money? How do we help so many more? And that's what we're finding is really this traction of how are people getting into financial planning? And then and then the, there's just so much new innovation happening in this space. So it's really, really cool. So that's kind of how we pivoted into, into this area. But realizing that, no, we're not just targeting juniors and seniors who lost their internships. We're targeting high school students. We have high school students joining our program. How cool is that? High school students, career changers, stay-at-home parents, so many people. If you're interested in a career in financial planning, like we're providing resources for that right now to help ease into that entry point into financial planning. I love this story from just the passion of the education around it to the collaboration with your husband to yeah. leveraging his skill sets to really run with this. So let me pause for a minute and ask for any of our listeners or anybody who's watching this live, where can people go if they want to access this program right now? Yeah, absolutely. So go to amplifiedplanning.com. That's going to be, or fpaexternship.org is the actual externship website. We'll link out to it from amplifiedplanning.com. So we're all about showing behind the scenes of what does financial planning look like. We also have a monthly program if you're just interested and you're like, I don't want to wait till next summer, where we share real client meetings. You get to watch my client meetings, like good, bad, and ugly, and just see if it's something that you want to do. 
Or if you have a family member, we have a lot of people like pushing their kids to come look at this or, you know, things like that. So good. Okay. So say it one more time. Amplify. Amplifiedplanning.com. Amplifiedplanning.com. You guys can go check that out. Okay. So good. Such a good story. And I just, I love it. I love it. Let's pivot for a minute because we've been talking about personal finance and financial planning for families, but I know that you actually have some really good advice for mistakes that entrepreneurs can make in their finances too. And this is so timely. You'll be proud of me this morning. I was actually going through all of my numbers for my own business. I do this once a month, running through my operating expenses, you know, what is our cash flow, the bottom line, all the things. And I have a call with my CFO on Thursday. And I think, you know, it's interesting. People see, oh, you know, a million dollar a year business and they don't realize the operating expenses that it takes on a monthly basis to actually run my business. I was running the numbers this morning and I think it cost me nearly two hundred and fifty dollars to $300,000 a year just to run my business. So you see a million dollars in sales and people think, oh, Melissa made a million dollars. No, Melissa didn't make a million dollars <laughs> this year, right? So with that, it's just super timely as I'm like running through my n- own numbers and looking at role expansions for my team and who we're hiring and what do we have the capacity within our operating budget to, to leverage. Would love for you to just share in your zone of genius, maybe some of the financial mistakes that entrepreneurs make that they can sidestep by listening to you today. Absolutely. So you were just talking about how we have CFO meetings for businesses. And that's just very common, right? I mean, not everybody does it, but a lot of people do. It's best practice for running your business for certain. But it's like, are you doing that for your personal side of the business or your personal side of your life as well? Especially if you have a partner of making sure that you guys are actually building a plan for yourselves. So for my husband and I, you know, there have been times where it is Okay, I'm an entrepreneur through and through. So I, I, this is like me telling you my personal story here as well. <laughs> so we're, we're on the same page here. But, you know, there have been so many times where I look at the numbers and I'm like, okay, well, I can reinvest this. You know, we can, we can put this money back into our business and it's going to grow the business and I know what to do on this, but we're not saving for a personal side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not, we're not setting that aside for ourselves, right? As entrepreneurs, we think if we control in our business, that's lower risk. That's actually not the case at all. So it's all about how do we diversify this risk? So my husband and I, and this trust stressed him out a lot. It stressed both of us out, but especially him because he's, I mean, we run a business together, but I'm definitely the maybe more aggressive entrepreneur. So we came up with a financial plan for ourselves. So we basically ran all the numbers. We did all the different projections that we needed to do. And we realized that there was a set amount that we need to save every month so that when we get to, for us, it was age 65, that we can continue working to age 65 and never have to worry about money again. And so what we do now it's just what people do in their 401ks, right? We have a set amount that we actually pull up from the business. We're not seeing it in our personal accounts. Yeah. Where we're just investing that every single month. And we don't even think about it anymore. But it has brought a level. I didn't even know that I was carrying this personal stress around with me. Mm-hmm. But it has brought a level of just comfort for us. It's helped free up all the other business decisions. I'm not having to like, you know, that internal negotiation you do with yourself of like, should I be putting this money towards this business and hiring this person? Or should I be pulling it out and doing these other things for us? It's helped give payback oh, this morning, right? <laughs> it's helping give our family the sense of security and this baseline, right? And as an entrepreneur, like, 
entrepreneurs know how to create things. They know how to make money. They know how to, to run these businesses. And so I can almost guarantee you our actual financial plan is going to look different, but this has given us that baseline. And so what's powerful is then revisiting this, right? Like what's working? What's not working? We're spending more than we spent two years ago. And part of that's just having more kids and, and life and all these different things. Um, but that, that's changing some of those dynamics. But getting that baseline has just been a, has been from a financial planning standpoint, kind of mapping out what does financial independence look like for us so that we can quit our job. Um, and we're not going to be dependent on a sale of our practice or something like that. Like, that's all going to be extra for us. You know, that's not kind of that right. baseline plan. But that's been really helpful. So that's my first tip kind of for entrepreneurs or one of the big mistakes entrepreneurs make. Because, Melissa, I'm sure you've seen it too, where we have these entrepreneurs who are running these crazy successful businesses, seven figures, multiple seven figures, and you look at their personal finances, and the only thing on their asset sheet is their business. And yeah. it's like, okay, we got to diversify that because you're just your risk is there. And so that's the first kind of piece of just making sure that you're taken care of holistically, and that if you burn out, you need a sabbatical. You, there's just so many things. It's going to give you so many options in life. Yes. Oh my gosh, such a good piece of advice. And you know, it's interesting. I, I mean, I can speak to this in my you know in our first 19 months. We scaled to a million dollars fast and furious. I didn't know which way was up. I didn't know yep. how to tell my money where to go. And it was before I'd hired a CFO. I've like openly shared this with people, right? My CFO was free. It was my husband who'd also never managed this type of cash flow in an online business, right? And that's where personal finance bled in with my business. And no blame to him because I agreed to it. And it was part of our vision board. But he saw all this cash coming in. And it was like, oh, let's, let's put a pool in the backyard, right? So we ended up spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, which I wouldn't take it back. I love my pool, right? But it creates with when you intermingle that personal finance without a financial plan with your business and telling your money where to go. What I learned in that first year that was a very good experience for me was that you, there's really no cushion in your business when you're diverting the income for the business and you're intermingling it with personal finance without a plan, right? And so that was a great learning lesson for me. And for all the entrepreneurs listening, one of the most devastating things that happened, and this is just a really great example, was within that first year, our processor dropped and we weren't able to actually bill our clients for a couple of days. And it could have been a month or two. And we had like 50 to 100 grand in cash held up that we physically could not get that had I not invested it in a pool, it would be sitting in an account to actually like, you know, serve the business. Luckily I had enough set aside. It was totally okay. But such a learning experience for me as a new entrepreneur to then hire a CFO, hire a legit bookkeeper, start running my numbers every single week, every single month, come up with a financial plan. And to your point, I pay myself monthly, but then we have an asset account. And 10% of the profit of the business every single month, I never see it. It goes to that account, which we just recently invested in rental. We're building a rental property. That is the ultimate goal is to start creating less pressure on the revenue of the business and to create revenue in multiple income streams. So I'm curious from your perspective as a financial planner with those asset accounts, with that money you're setting aside. What is your advice for the entrepreneurs who are being diligent now and setting aside that money for, you know, asset long-term diversification? 
what are like your top three places that you would advise people to invest? I'm assuming it's going to be part in the market and the stuff that you, you know, that you coach to, but what are your two cents on places to diversify the income that's coming in, the profit in your business, where they can go invest it diligently on a monthly basis to create additional income streams for themselves and safety? So it's all going to be about what's important to you, right? And this is where it gets so, so personal. Like, what are your goals on this? Is this money just strictly for retirement? Like, you don't want to have to think about it. You just want it to sit there. Well, that's going to look different than if you're trying to build another income stream, trying to, you know, do these different things. So it really comes down to a lot of risk tolerance. So I'm a big believer, obviously, in the market of, first of all, just order of operations, you know, making sure you have that emergency fund. Y'all, it has been painful sitting on this much cash of, uh, you know, that my businesses need and for me personally. So in January, we were like, oh my gosh, inflation. And then the markets fell and things tightened up and it's more expensive to get money now. And cash has been so valuable. And so it's just one of those. So first order of operations is getting your emergency fund. We kind of look at these as buckets. And then I would say the next bucket is going to be looking at, okay, the stock market, it's the easiest. You're basically investing in companies, right? Like companies is where you find so much growth in your personal entrepreneurs. Like if you invest in your business, that's your most rapid way of seeing, seeing wealth grow, right, is investing in your own business. But when we look at the stock market, that's essentially what you're doing is you are investing in all these other companies. And so if we're looking at a retirement account, kind of those like you're looking to how are we going to be saving that longevity? How are we going to be providing for ourselves from 65 to 100? We're finding a lot of people are putting that money, you know, into into the stock market, into into kind of those pieces, because it is no work. <laughs> like you literally, like you need to check in with your financial planner for sure. And, you know, make sure things are invested well, but there's not any upkeep. We're finding more and more people are interested in kind of that real estate piece. And that's just something, again, where that's going to get really personal about what's your risk level? What are you willing to put in? Uh, one of the things I love about entrepreneurs is it's very much like a business solution to a retirement problem. <laughs> we kind of think that way, um, right. but really that's where you really get into, okay, what is it that you want your life to look like? What, what does this look like? Really getting into the numbers because it can look drastically different from one client to the next. And so that's really where we get into some of what, what is that personal, that personal side of it, that personal side yeah. of it look like? Absolutely. And I love that whole diversification piece. And that was it for us. Like my husband and I sat down and looked at, okay, all of our assets me being an ex-corporate, I've got the 401k. I invested yeah. aggressively very early and had a great company that matched everything I put in. You know, he's got a 401k. He's got a great stock options with the company. And it's like, okay, we've got a, we got a lot of money in the market. Can we diversify and invest in something that's going to create experiences for us and our family too yeah. by diversifying our income streams into, into a new avenue? I love that though. What is your advice Sorry to like go off on a tail. You're good. But what, and like how many months of operating expenses do you advise entrepreneurs to have as a safety net? Do you say six months? Like the typical financial <laughs> advisor says for like the household or like, what's your advice on that? Because it's a lot of cash to sit on, right? It's a lot of cash. So this is going to come down to your risk tolerance. So one of the things that is really interesting in working with clients at some point in their arrangement. If you're married, one of the, you know, one of the partners, 
will say this or, you know, it'll there'll be some sense of security. So the question that I always come back to, which is what does security look like to you? It's one of the most powerful questions we can ask as a financial planner. Because as an entrepreneur, if you have that baseline of security, you are able to take the risks. You are able to do the things, right? And so for me, what's most important is that we figure out what does it mean? What does security mean for you? And that's going to look very, very different to different people. I have one client. She has to keep $5,000 of cash in her freezer. That's what security means to her. I don't know, I, but it, that's what it means for her. I have other people where it can just mean something drastically different. I have one client, they want $95,000 in cash, not $100,000, $95,000 in cash in their account. And that's, and that's great. So I think, you know, we have this baseline of, of knowing if something were to happen to you. That three to six months is kind of typical. I'm working with a lot of people now, especially younger clients, which is really interesting to me, who are wanting 12 months in cash, which again, we can look at, you know, what's the COVID impact on that, seeing other things. And if that's what you need to feel secure, that's what I care about most. So for some people, it's going to be on the three-month side of things. And that's really, when we look at some of the risk side, and this is my other big thing that entrepreneurs miss hugely is this risk piece. Maybe we get in that in a minute, but we really look at, you know, what is it that you need to feel secure and really use that as a starting point. If somebody came to me and they were like, you know, oh, we're good. We don't need, we don't need any emergency fund. I might, I might push back and be like, okay, let, let's dive into this a little bit more. Let's play through some right. of these scenarios. Cause your example was perfect, Melissa, of, of credit card processor goes down. But, you know, for us, we, for Charlie and I, we kind of go on the lower end of emergency funds for our personal but we have high emergency funds in our businesses. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how we've balanced this okay. out for ourselves because mm-hmm. we know that we're going to be able to pay ourselves for those three to six months because we have the higher in the business. Um, and that's just kind of what we've done. But everybody's going to look a little bit different on that. But the bigger question for me is, what does security look like for you? Because if you can answer that question, you can build a whole plane around that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So good. Okay, final question on this. Not to be yeah. a dead horror. No, you're good. It's a lot of cash, right? It's a lot of cash. So my question to you is this. Do you leave that cash just sitting in the bank or can you put it somewhere that's super low risk like bonds or something like that? So what is your advice if you've got, you know, 100,000 plus that's just sitting for just in case and I kind of see that much money just sitting as kind of like stagnant, not producing anything. Can you take it and put it somewhere that's low risk, somewhat accessible, that is going to have a little bit more gains than it would just in a traditional bank account? Or is it just the safest to just leave it in the bank? So we're looking at high interest checking accounts or savings accounts, and it's painful. Like I'm with you. It's painful to see it, to see it there. But the problem is what's low risk. And so we've traditionally said bonds are low risk. But if we see what's happened in the market, so when we say bonds are low risk, the reason why we say that, it's not that they're low risk. They are lower risk than the stock market, right? Because that's going to go up and down daily trading. But bonds, there's a lot of things known about it. It's a lot of things that we have certainty about. We know how much interest you're going to get from every bond. We know when you're going to get paid back on the bond. There's a lot of known factors. Now, the thing with bonds is that their biggest driver is interest rates. So in the past, I've had clients who, you know, who would want to do some of the, you put the money in the bonds. But we look at what's happened this year. Bonds are down 10 to 15%. I know. Across the board. Yeah. And so seeing that $100,000, your safety net go to $85,000. Yeah. 
that doesn't feel that doesn't feel comfortable. And so again, it's bonds are connected to the interest rates and we're in a rising interest rate environment. So as painful as it is, sometimes it, it's in the cash. I had a client tell me one time, they said, you know, emergency funds, you always feel like it's overfunded until you need it and then you never have enough. Right. And so so we're seeing a lot of these high interest savings accounts, they're bumping up their total amount that they are paying, right? So th- their whole marketing is about getting more interest. So now we're seeing accounts that even have like one and a half percent. Oh, really? Okay. I've got so, to do research. Yeah. So look at look at high yield savings account and actually look at what the yields are. So some of the popular ones are Chase has a really good high one, high interest savings account, Ally Bank. Ally Bank's whole marketing is on kind of this. Yeah. this yeah, A-L-L-Y. So they're going to be one to go in where you can at least be getting some return on your investment, even though it is kind of painful to see it just sit there. I, I'm with you. It's like, what am I doing? Like, I could be making so much. Yeah, totally. But, well, I ended up putting my savings, business savings and bonds last year, and I've just seen them just drop. Yeah. And I'm like, the, I've got to put this money somewhere else. I'm just losing money versus at least getting a little bit of interest on them. And what I was thinking was a waste in a you know a traditional bank account. When we look at money, when we look at these buckets of money that we have, one of the big things is every bucket of money should have a job assigned to it. So your emergency fund should have a job of we want safety in that. And then you're going to oftentimes clients bucket their money out for different goals that they have. So your retirement, I mean, you're 30s, 40s, like you can be aggressive on that and you can be like, oh, okay, that's down. It's doing exactly what we think it should be doing. So it's really being clear about what's this money, what is the purpose of the money, and then letting that drive the decisions on how to invest it. So good. This has all been such a good dialogue, Hannah, and beneficial for yeah. me. So any other, before we wrap up, any yeah. other mistakes you want to hit on that entrepreneurs make? Any guidance on anything else yes. they can sideswipe? <laughs> Well, one of the biggest things is the risk management piece of this. So when we think about financial planning, we're really touching on any areas that your finances touch on, right? In your personal finances. And so one of the big ones that we don't like to talk about, but as business owners, it's really, really important that we do is the estate planning side of things. Mm -hmm. So this question of if something were to happen to you, is your family taking care of? So it's going to be the first line of defense, right? And that can be an easy through, not easy, but you most traditionally, you do that through life insurance. You do that through disability. Disability is a huge blind spot. Most people are coming to me and, and they just have a huge blind spot in that. And what if you're disabled? How are you going to be bringing in, in income to your family? Life insurance, you know, people kind of generally kind of understand that. But if you run a business, you have to ask this question, is, is your business going to run if you weren't part of your business, does your business continue to run or does it shut down? And if it shuts down, perhaps there's resale value in it. I don't know. But if it continues on without you, you need to be thinking about what does that continuity plan look like and how are you going to be funding that? Because I've been working with a couple entrepreneurs lately where, you know, they're 50-50 partners with somebody or something like that. And it's like, okay, well, if something happens to you, like if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, your wife or your husband is now business partners. And everybody's like, oh my God, no, we don't want that to happen. But that is what would happen. And so a lot of these businesses can't support the financial burden of buying out that partner. And so there's just a lot of these business dynamics, especially as your business starts to scale, you need to be thinking about what happens to your business if something should happen to you from a disability event. And then even into, if you were to pass away, if you were to get hit by a bus tomorrow, what would you want to happen? And how would that be financed? Because oftentimes on the business side of things, that can leave a significant, if you were to sell your business, 
that can leave us like a significant windfall to your family, but it has to be figured out before the event actually happens. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a happy topic to talk about from an entrepreneur standpoint, but it is something that's really, really important to make sure that number one, your clients are taken care of. Because yeah, like if something happened to me tomorrow, like, you know, we have kind of this next step of what would need to happen and who would fill in that, but then making sure that your family is taken care of as well. Because oftentimes there can be, you know, my husband does not want to run a financial planning firm if something happens to me. He's like, yeah, no, we're we're not touching this. And if you expect me, like we're going to have bigger issues. But so often that's what happens when something happens to entrepreneurs. And so thinking through that, it can be... It can be complicated. And a lot of this comes down to, you know, what's the purpose of this business? What's the end game of your business? And, you know, what's important to you and your family? And what does this look like? And it it evolves over time, right? A financial plan, you don't just create a financial plan and it never changes. I can't tell you how many clients come in and it's like two years later and they're like, so remember all of that? Yeah, that's we got to start over. <laughs> yep. um, and that's the point, right? Like that's what we do as entrepreneurs. We create new things. We evolve. So just thinking through some of those risk management pieces on the estate planning side, I think is, is critically important and often overlooked. Mm, so good. So many good nuggets. And I definitely need to look into something I've actually spoken with my husband about recently. I was like, we need to look into disability for me. And I think oh, that you yep. hit on a good point though. It's like when you're first growing and scaling, It's not the front of mind because you're just building and creating and seeing what's going to come of what you build. And then all of a sudden you look around and you've got this empire and it's like, but what if like, if you're the face of the company and something happens tomorrow, like, you know, how are your clients served? How does your family make up for that revenue or who handles the business? Such a good question. Such a good question. Hannah, this has been so good. Where can people find you right now? Where do you hang out? What's your website? How can people reach out to you? And what do you have going on right now? Yeah, so the website is guidingwealth.com. So that's my private practice that we have here. So I I love doing the financial planning side of things, uh, working with with people. So yeah, guidingwealth.com. Obviously on LinkedIn, we use that a lot for our planner education kind of um, avenue as well. But you can certainly reach out on LinkedIn if you're watching this there. But yes, guidingwealth.com is probably going to be the best place. And we are going to be starting a new podcast in the next couple of weeks. So that'll be rolling out soon. So hey, can you share with us the name of it? Or- yes, it's going to be everyday money with Hannah Moore. So really trying to make finances accessible to to everybody. Oh, I love that. Okay, you guys have to keep your eyes out for that. Okay. And then lastly, shameless plug here, you and I met at a live event. Yes. And we're entrepreneurs. And I'm actually hosting my very first in-person live event at the end of September. And I'm so excited to be serving so many different entrepreneurs in that two-day experience. But I'd love from your perspective, as an entrepreneur, why you attend live events and what you get out of it. Oh my gosh. Well, number one, if you're leading an event, anybody should go there. Uh, But because you know, it's going to be good if if Melissa's leading it. But you know, one of the things is you just get so much in conversation. So we ran this podcast for new financial planners. We're almost 300 episodes into it. And so you get all this stuff online, right? We'd hit stop recording. And I can't tell you the number of times people would be like, okay, now let me tell you what's really, what really happened or tell you more. And so those are the things that you get in this real conversation. You don't just get the static information that you read online. You're getting to apply it to yourself. You're getting to see, okay, like how can I connect these dots in even interesting, in more interesting ways? You get to pick up on the nuance of what people are saying. And then especially when you get around a group of entrepreneurs who are not the same, 
oh my gosh, I've learned so much. Even in our group, I've learned there's just so many different ways to run a business. There's so many ways to be successful in running a business. And you just get so many ideas. And then it's energizing. You know, a lot of people in my daily life, they aren't entrepreneurs. And that's great, right? Like that's that's a really great thing. But to get into a space where people understand you and they get it, and oh, it is one of the most invigorating things. I always come back so refreshed from live events and just with so many ideas. And it always helps my business. Yes. Oh my gosh. So true. And that's what I've been saying lately is especially for those who are looking for just some wind in their sails for the fourth quarter, you know, coming back just totally recharged and inspired by being surrounded by other entrepreneurs who are a couple of steps ahead of you, just inspiring you of of what's possible. You guys should totally check us out at my website, burnoutalloutco Hannah, thank you so much for taking time today out of your busy schedule to just drop nugget after nugget after nugget when it comes to finances, personal and business. So appreciate you. And And I can't wait to catch up with you again shortly in our own group mastermind. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me, Melissa. I appreciate it. Yes. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Burnout to All Out podcast. For free resources, materials, or information on my coaching services, go ahead over to livethefreelife.co. That's livethefreelife.co. or check out our Facebook community at Burnout to All Out and make sure you follow Burnout to All Out on Spotify and subscribe to iTunes. And it would truly mean the world to me if you paused for just a second, gave me that five-star review of the show and be sure to share this episode with any burnouts you think would be inspired to go all out after hearing this episode. 